listening to the Renegade Economist, investigating monopoly profits, great corruption, and the policy solutions demanded. Geeky but essential, the tools to the fairest and most efficient economic system await. With your host, Carl Fitzgerald. Welcome, fellow travelers. As we journey towards an economic system that makes sense, this is the 578th Renegade Economist radio show, or the fifth in our Georgia's Podcore series, where we're trying to lay a path towards custodianship rather than this consumerism that is tearing up the planet and causing so much inequality so much frustration by those who uh, don't have the same advantages uh, as uh, the lucky few. So over the past uh, four episodes, we've talked about how property rights tilt the playing field for generations. Uh, Our second uh, episode in this series was on justice before liberty and the need to get these economic frameworks correct. And uh, it really struck me, this article from a few weeks back by Bridget Delaney uh, in the Guardian newspaper. I was poor while all of my friends were rich. The hardest part was the lack of freedom. And she writes, This wakefulness was pure anxiety, and what I was doing in my head were tiny sums with tiny pieces of money. I'd check my bank account and if nothing had come in overnight, I'd start the process of doing the math. Could I afford the day's tram fare? And what about the friend's birthday party in the nice restaurant? And could I say yes to lunch but eat something first and just have a water? As for the poor, none of the worst things about being poor and by extension being on Newstart, which is Australia's welfare system, is the lack of freedom. Not just the lack of freedom to travel or enjoy socialising with your friends, but the mental freedom. As soon as you get on Newstart, your mind isn't free. It's anxious and busy working out how to survive. It's doing tiny sums with tiny bits of money. It's going right down to the decimal point. To have money is to be free. To have that space in your head freed up for other things. Thinking, dreaming, enjoying your life, planning for your future, surrendering under the canopy of palms to the four-handed massage and thinking of nothing because you don't have a care in the world. We take it for granted and do not appreciate that others have their headspace shrunk by poverty and the necessities of survival. Well done, Bridget. You've summed up there uh, the life of an empty wallet and how, whether we like it or not, uh, we need to try and earn income so that uh, we have the ability to do what we need to do to provide for our kids like we'd like to. But gee, it's not just people on Newstart, is it? It's anyone who's uh, on uh, a minimum wage. So they are the pressures that uh, will one day lead people to recognising, look, if we want to be wealthy, then we better understand the rules of economic engagement. And so far, the economic system has been sold to the people as a complex thing that's too hard to understand. So just let us wealthy folk get away with blue murder episode three in this series was on locational advantage yes it starts from under your feet this one we looked at where the 
The easy money comes from the advantage of owning a prime location in the middle of the city where the community does all the work, uh, paying their taxes to build new train stations, to uh, establish new funky cafes nearby, uh, new parks, all those things, community gardens even lead to more people wanting to live in that community. So does the landowner do anything to deserve uh, these thousands of dollars, often thirty to $50,000 increases in the value of their property each and every year? And last episode was entitled Your Choice, Change the Tax System or Endure a 40-Year Mortgage. And it was all about, it was a tax geekery episode, my friends, yes, I really got my socks off, didn't I? Talking about Adam Smith and the canons of taxation. What is the best and the fairest way to raise revenue? Dare I say, tax is the white man's word for sharing. And unfortunately, the social contract between sharing some of our earned income with the government has broken down precisely because we're taxing people in the wrong manner on their productive work rather than where the wealthy make all of their money through monopoly rents, aka unearned incomes. So if we've established all of that, we understand that uh, what we're talking about here, raising revenues through land and natural resource rents alongside taxation of natural monopolies, that it has the lowest deadweight cost on society. So basically we can not only raise revenue, but we can improve economic behavior. If all that's established, then this pathway to custodianship, it actually needs more than motherhood statements. And this is one of the things I love about Georgism is that it has a very strong, rational, logical process of reforms that are required to deliver this outcome. And luckily in Australia, we have the majority of these reforms already in place. We have so many advantages. It's basically, this is the dream system that economists want to see and Australia has, alongside with Singapore, we're two nations that have some of the best systems set up to enable it. Okay, well, let's get into uh, this framework. So if we understand that we have local councils, state governments, and the federal government that all need some form of revenue to pay for the the services they provide and to protect their communities from rampant change. So what different tax systems are we going to use to look after society? Well, at the local council level, of course, the municipal rating system is uh, where the heavy lifting is done. Unfortunately, the death by a thousand cuts type approach that the property lobby has taken has seen that we've switched away from the best way of raising rates and towards one that of course shelters the wealthy and makes the poor pay more. If only they knew. Well, the best system to use is called site value rating. And of course, this is a council rate on the land component only. Unfortunately, 
thanks to uh, Jeff Kennett, we've moved away from site value rating to one called Capital Improved Valuation, CIV rating or Net Annual Value. Now, the difference between those uh, systems is that one ensures that each property owner pays an equivalent amount according to their locational advantage, that site value rating, whereas the other basically sees the family home subsidising your local land speculator who, when they attend their uh, Get Rich Quick Property Spruiking seminars, they're they're advised that uh, uh, if they want to get a leg up in the world of property investment, you're best to go and stake out one of the most, uh, one of the poorest communities you can find in your city to look where future possible infrastructure projects are planned, to look where artists are just starting to uh, set up, buy your piece of land and sit on it for the next seven, seven to 10 years. And to uh, minimise your costs, what you do is knock down the old weatherboard home that sits on that property because they've been advised to use Google Earth to find properties that are greater than 660 uh, square metres. And uh, when they find that property that's big enough to subdivide into two or three in perhaps uh, eight to ten years' time, they recognise that if they knock the house down, because the rating system is on uh, the land and improvements, they will get a discount on uh, their rate system because there will no longer be any improvements on that site. So that's one of the motivating forces that destroys what could have been uh, an element of affordable housing, those classic old weatherboard homes uh, many of us in the early 90s rented and enjoyed. And instead, that property sits empty with no real productive use as you uh, inadvertently walk past and basically don't even recognise it. Well, that was, of course, until we started doing our speculative vacancies report into empty housing, wasn't it? Now, the understanding of uh, vacancy is higher, but still the cost to government, the cost to society of the sprawl that adds uh, to our everyday lives has not effectively been quantified so that we know the economic impacts of uh, all of this land banking that carries on and uh, the further costs pushed out on the sprawl as uh, more forests, more rare grasslands are uh, concreted over and uh, infrastructure installed in the most expensive uh, method possible, basically. It's not a good story. So the local council system has been further impinged upon in Australia by a number of uh, tactics. One of them is uh, the rates cap here in Victoria, where uh, uh, rates are only allowed to increase by the CPI, the inflation rate, perhaps uh, a marginal element above that. Uh, that's uh, regulated by uh, the Essential Services Commission and uh, the Minister for Local Council. Now, what that is doing is uh, basically checking local councils' ability to raise their own revenue, and from that, it means 
they're going to be requesting the federal government and state grants to provide more money to them. And uh, the way it looks to me is that uh, this is going to assist in uh, the next great devolvement in the Australian economic system, and that is to raise the goods and services tax, the GST, which of course is regressive, where someone on $20,000 pays the same amount of tax as someone on $200,000 for a $3 item. In New South Wales and Queensland, they have uh, an Orwellian system there where they call it minimum rates. And what that does is that it basically is leading us towards a poll tax where local councils are charging a minimum rate of, say, $1,500 a a year for a property there, uh, which because those properties uh, perhaps are in inferior locations, really should be paying something like uh, $1,100 a year. They are subsidising those who live in uh, the wealthier areas. So uh, not really a good system. And another sort of chink in this social contract where people know it doesn't make sense inherently, but they just can't quite put their finger on what it is. And with these incursions on the rating base, what it's meaning is that, again, this uh, poll tax kind of move is happening where uh, governments, uh, local councils are trying to increase the, the fixed costs of garbage removal, uh, other fixed costs uh, sliding in left, right and centre, parking fines keep going up and up and up. And all of these sort of uh, penalties affect poor people more than the wealthy. Now, here in Victoria, supposedly a progressive uh, state Uh, The Daniel Andrews Labor government is firmly entrenched in power and uh, unfortunately within the ALP ranks they have a strong disjoint in their understanding of the rating system and and they pretty well see that uh, this taxation of uh, big mansions and so forth is more aligned with the capacity to pay. And that's one of the big problems we have with uh, this whole land rent based system, this leasehold based system that we lease the earth rather than own it, we're custodians rather than consumers, uh, is that uh, they, the ALP, the Victorian ALP assert that people with more valuable buildings tend to be wealthier and can afford to pay more. So the big problem is that uh, we have a lot of asset-rich, income-poor uh, retirees and those in, in later life who don't want to move home. And our system encourages them to move out of you know, what is now a, a, a rattly old home with one person, one or two people living in a four-bedroom home in uh, an inner-city location. Meanwhile, the breadwinners are uh, driving 45 minutes each way to work, getting home frustrated and uh, stresses on uh, marriages continue. So, yeah, this argument about capacity to pay and that people who own more valuable buildings uh, tend to be wealthier and can afford to pay more, well, 
it's really incorrect because people with more valuable land tend to be the wealthy ones. And in America, Mason Gaffney has shown that where the buildings of wealthy homeowners are only 2.8 times above average, the land of the wealthy is 17.5 times above average. So let's just keep it simple. Aim for the land. Capture the locational value. That's what we need to do across all aspects of our taxation system. So that's pretty well it for uh, local government. I know, I know, I know. Let's move on to state government. And here in Victoria, one of the uh, big improvements that's happened in recent times, just the last couple of years, is that the land here is valued annually. And that's very important when you have a land value tax system in place. So quite often it's a loophole that leads to the downfall of any sort of uh, land taxation. And the Canberra leasehold system is one of the classic examples where yeah, at the turn of Federation, 1901, the leasehold system was established, but the land was only valued every 20 years. So as it came up towards those 20 years, the property lobby uh, and just general homeowners would recognise this was a steep jump in their property valuation. And so from that, uh, protest arose. So... Unfortunately, in the early 70s, the Canberra leasehold system was uh, drastically undermined. And again, this system of uh, state and f I think there were federal grants by Billy McMahon were enacted. And from that, uh, uh, these regressive forms of taxation, rather than the most progressive uh, tax uh, that can't be avoided, uh, uh, is no longer utilised to its best and highest means. Vanuatu is another example where land there uh, hadn't been valued since uh, the mid-90s. I, I noted recently similar sort of practices occur in the Philippines where they have some form of distorted property tax there. But because their land valuations are from so long ago, they really don't capture this rising land value. Now, talking about rising land values, uh, the Australian Bureau of Statistics just released uh, their Australian Environmental Economic Accounts, a world-leading uh, system that uses both monetary and non-monetary systems to, to value our natural resources and try and quantify how, how they're going up in value and what our resource consumptions are. Now, that, that data set, 4655, uh, summarises land, minerals, energy and timber alongside a whole pile of other aspects. But just to compare the value of Australia's minerals, we hear so much about them. They're barely $386 billion worth. But in 2017-18, uh, of course, Australia's land values were at $5.92 trillion. Trillion dollars. So there you have it, uh, the mineral wealth of uh, the lucky few such as Gina Reinhardt, BHP, Rio Tinto and so forth is uh, less than 10% of our land-based wealth. That's why it's so important to get this land story right. <laughs>
So we've got the yearly land valuations. The next thing uh, we have to do is apply a charge against those land valuations in order for the public to collect this rising value of location, location, and use that to replace the taxes on our work, to replace the taxes on, uh, dare I say it, even companies. We could slow the whole economy down if we taxed away the easy money in land and natural monopolies. That's our core aim. So we have looked at this over many, many decades and believe that a land value tax of some 5% per annum would cover over half of all level of government's uh, revenue requirements. Look back at my Total Resource Rents of Australia report from 2012 and you'll find the numbers there. And uh, yeah, the the big point to, to bring about there is that uh, when you think of a land value tax, why do we call it land value tax and not just land tax? Well, this is that difference between value and price. Value is what you can actually earn from that location as a wage earner, whereas price is pretty much what a speculator can extort from the market and where uh, purchasers base it above what they can earn on it, but in hope that they will be able to sell for an expected future capital gain of such and such a rate. So by taxing away some 5% of the land value each year, it pulls the speculative heat out of the market. And uh, yeah, many people will think, gee, my house is worth uh, 700,000 bucks, but that's first the land and the buildings. And then you have to think that it's based on, that land component is based on land price, which has this whole speculative element in it. So we're hoping in most like locations that uh, land price, yeah, will will drop some ten to twenty percent. You'll note if you're a property owner on your council rating bill that your your land component, even your CIV component, is rather conservatively valued below what uh, current market prices are happening in your area. So that's important. Now, another key aspect, and I probably should have mentioned this first, is our Torrens titling system. This one is an area where Georges could well be criticised, particularly in developing communities where the World Bank, IMF and so forth have pushed hard to have all land titled. And uh, with people like Herman de Soto, having an influential role in the community development type world, believing that uh, all communities should have access to uh, a a privatised land title so that they can then borrow against their land to uh, lift themselves out of poverty. Well, as we know, so much debt entraps communities within the market system, it entraps them away from being able to be the sort of creative individual they would love to aspire, love to be. And that's part of the trap of this uh, speculative land cycle we're stuck in is that, uh, yeah, now we've got 
people borrowing half a million dollars. One of my good friends, I feel, you know, sick in the stomach recognizing that uh, those debts are going to take probably 30 years of work. Here he is in his early 40s. Uh, how on earth are they going to pay off $500,000? And that is a small loan in the in the size of things. In Sydney, goodness me, young people must be taking out $700,000 loans. And you would think uh, rationally they would be imagining the only way they can pay that off is to buy and sell perhaps single bedroom apartments and make some capital gains on that and help take a load off uh, that price. So you can see from that that the whole system kind of builds upon itself to push land prices ever higher. My email signature finishes off with uh, it's easier to change the tax system than to pay off a 40-year mortgage. And that's what I really hope to see happening in the future. Um, Yeah, it's uh, it's a huge issue. Now, it was something that uh, listeners are probably wondering, look, a land value tax, that'll just be passed on to renters. It's not going to sort anything out. Well, what about uh, the 80-odd thousand vacant properties we often find in our survey? What about all of the properties? Uh, go for a walk along Elizabeth Street and you'll see there on the western side, there's a lot of property there that's only one or two stories high. What about if we build upwards? That would add to supply as well. Uh, you know, there's a lot of land that uh, in our prime locations is not used um, optimally. It's not used optimally. So that's on one side. We're going to have all this supply competition coming through. But then on the other side, there's a recognition that landlords nearly always charge the market rate. How many people do you know who have a landlord who bought in the 70s or 80s, has already paid their property off and is quite willing to rent out those locations at 1990s or maybe 2000 level type rents? Well, those unfortunately are in the minority. And so uh, if there's new supply coming along and if they're already charging a high market rent, then they really can't increase the rents because uh, there's all this new competition going on. So that is one of the strengths of a land value tax system and one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about it. All right, so we've talked about local and state levels. Uh, Next episode, we're going to look at uh, some federal implications. We're going to look at uh, resource rents going to look at how the tax base could be shared between state and federal. We're also going to look at the important aspect of natural monopolies, which are becoming more being privatized left, right and center. What can the public do to reclaim some aspect to uh, uh, this naturally rising value of these resources of uh, the Port of Melbourne, for example, all these big superannuation companies are uh, circling, trying to find access to monopoly rents. So I hope you found this episode interesting. Please check out the show notes at prosper.org.au. Send me an email at renegades at earthsharing.org.au. Please give the podcast a rating on uh, your iTunes app. 
on any sort of app. I'd love to see more feedback to uh, keep the motivation going. All right, my name's Carl Fitzgerald. Hopefully this has helped you make some sense of uh, an economically mad, mad world.